Consensus Network. What if the seed phrase I've stored in my book, in that bookcase, doesn't get found? What if my wife, who doesn't know how to work the hardware wallet I've given her, but has only used it once, and if I did die, you know, would be really grief-stricken and might not be able to work it? What if the, the device I share with my brother gets lost? So instead of having a key at the local lockbox business, I now manage a key with the Bitcoin advisor. And I pay the Bitcoin advisor for that service. And it's, it's just a, an additional layer that makes me just so much more comfortable with having you know, bought the Bitcoin that I have. Welcome back to the Freedom Footprint Show, a Bitcoin philosophy show with Knut Svanholm and me, Luke the Sudofin. Today, we keep exploring a topic that we've been interested in for a while, the role of Bitcoin in creating and safeguarding generational wealth. To do this, we welcome Jake Woodhouse, Bitcoiner, fellow podcaster and Bitcoin advisor partner that will tell us his story and experience with the Bitcoin advisor why he became a partner, and how they're trying to help people preserve their wealth through Bitcoin. But before we jump in, a quick reminder that the best way to support the show is to send us a boost or stream us some sats using a value-for-value podcasting app such as Fountain. If you're listening to this show as a podcast, check it out on Fountain. You can earn sats from listening, and you can support us and all your other favorite shows. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like, subscribe to the channel, and turn on notifications so you never miss a weekly episode. And finally, we want to thank today's sponsors, Wasabi Wallet, Orange Pill App, and BitcoinBook.shop. All their information is in the description. We'll be talking a bit more about them later. And now, without further ado, here is Jake Woodhouse on the Freedom Footprint Show. Jake, welcome to the Freedom Footprint Show. Thanks for joining us. Cheers, guys. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, good to see you again, Jake. Last time we spoke was in Sydney. Yeah. So I must say a big thank you to yourself. You were my first ever guest on my podcast, Bitcoin with Jake, that I started last year. So it was great to meet you in person at Bitcoin Alive and um, been uh, an avid reader of your book. So to join you guys on the podcast today is fantastic. Likewise, uh, fantastic to have you on. I remember that steak we we had uh, next to the opera house <laughs> or on the other side of the basin there. Correct. Just by yeah. the ocean. It was cool, wasn't it? Yeah, really cool. So are you still doing Bitcoin with Jake? Is that still a thing? Uh, no, a business opportunity has arrived. And so I'm now a, a partner at the Bitcoin Advisor. And that is now my like my primary focus. But I think as with a, a lot of us in the Bitcoin space, it, it sucks us in intellectually. And I couldn't just sit there and not talk about it. So I started writing a newsletter and mm-hmm. then I started a podcast. And ultimately, that's led to a, a really cool opportunity. So I'm now setting up a Bitcoin business. <laughs> I know the feeling you're describing. <laughs> yeah, we happen to know a bit about this business, but our, I guess our listeners don't. So, so can you tell us a bit about the Bitcoin advisor? In short, I am the ultimate cheerleader of the business because I use the product and I felt much safer with my Bitcoin allocation in my portfolio as a result of um, teaming up with Pete. 
So to to wind the clock back, I've been investing funds for over 10 years now on my own account. My father, shout out to dad, he sadly died when I was just 20 years old. He was 48 and he was a wealthy guy. And we well, inherited his house essentially, which we decided to sell. And so in my mid twenties, I received some money and I then had the problem, you know, how do you protect wealth over time? And that is really the, the use case that brings me to Bitcoin. And fast forward to 2020, I mean, loads of other things happened, but ultimately I saw Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy buying $425 million of Bitcoin and calling it a treasury reserve asset. And I'd owned some Bitcoin, probably sub 1% of my portfolio at that stage. Um, since 2015, I bought and sold. And like many of us, I didn't really know what we owned. I did stupid shit with it, like buy classic cars and go on holiday and, you know, whatever. But ultimately, the fact that a, a NASDAQ listed company was able to do that, like get it on its balance sheet, this was just an extraordinary signal that you couldn't ignore as an investor. And so that really kind of was a, a coming of age in terms of its, what's the right word? Like it's, it's a premium asset. It's a completely legitimate as part of a, a genuine wealth strategy. And in particular, there was something that, that Michael mentioned in a, a YouTube I watched. Bitcoin infiltrates corporate America. There's Raul Powell, interestingly, doing the, the, the hosting at the time, what a direction he's gone in since. But specifically, Michael was talking about how do I give the manager of my business a hundred years from now the best opportunity to run my company? I know I'm going to buy Bitcoin. And that was the same mindset I'd had when thinking about investing the wealth I'd inherited. I was like, okay, well, I've got to get some more Bitcoin. And that process took me, you know, via Unchained, learning about their multi-sig setup. And I asked Unchained for um, references on their product. And they sent me to Peter Dunworth. And he was a financial advisor in Sydney, who I then started chatting to, you know, multiple times per week. And we became really close friends over the last two or three years. Pete had developed a very niche product for high net wealth individuals to collaboratively custody keys. So with a two or three multi-sig, I was managing two keys on my own. Those two keys were, one of them was in like a local lockbox. One was in my house. I had obviously the backup seed phrases. I was comfortable that they were secure, but I wasn't comfortable with, you know, teaching my wife just once how the whole multi-sig system worked and then moving substantial amounts of value into it. Well, if I got, you know, killed by accident tomorrow, like my father suddenly dropped dead, like, would she be able to actually get our Bitcoin in a safe manner? And it wasn't until I met Pete that I came across something that uh, this really gave me the confidence to, to go ahead and make the reallocation. Yeah, look, Pete's ready to scale up the business. And so I have got involved as a, an equity partner in the Bitcoin advisor. I think largely because of the newsletter and the podcasting that I was doing, I'm a kind of uh, a marketing guy, essentially, to come and help promote the, the business. But it was an essential cog in the reallocation to Bitcoin for me as, a, uh, as an investor. So a few things to pick up on there, I'm sure. But that's, that's a summary as to why I like the, the Bitcoin advisor and why I think it's a very exciting business in the Bitcoin space. Oh, that's excellent. We're good friends with Pete here. We had Michael on yesterday, Peter, uh, Peter Dunworth's brother. And uh, we've also had the other Michael you were talking about on talking about these things. So, uh, oh, fantastic! Before before we go on, could you also give us the TLDR about 
about yourself? I mean, you briefly hopped mm-hmm. into it, but what's your background? And how did you end up in, um, is it Melbourne? Yeah, I'm in Melbourne, yes. Yeah. So, okay, go back to the beginning. I grew up in the south of the UK, and my, my family business is a, a fascinating, um, very old, still family-owned, traditional real ale brewer. So we've been making beer for almost 250 years now. Part of that is we also run a pub business. So we sell, sell our beer through these pubs. As a result, you know, my father was in the company for 25 plus years. The, you know, every time we drive past a pub car park, you know, is it full? Why is it not full? Always thinking about, you know, the business side of things and trying to figure out, you know, how do we keep the business going? How do we keep it within the family? How do we keep making good beer? Um, and so from a very young age, heavily exposed to the idea of kind of commerce. And I, I guess I subdued some more artistic instincts as a teenager in favor of going off and doing a business degree. And I then wanted to go and work in a high-paced, potentially high-paying environment and avoid the family business. And particularly just after my father's death, I wasn't ready to, to go and get involved. And I ended up working in the shipping industry as a broker. This is a, a huge industry that no one ever really hears much about. Now, Knut, I know you've got a shipping background yourself and we've spoken about this a little. <laughs> what happens on the open ocean, anyone on land doesn't really know anything about, interestingly. So I was a, a what's called a dry cargo ship broker. And so I, I was the middleman between mining companies and, and dry cargo vessels. I did that for five years. That took me over to Asia. I lived in Singapore for, for four and a half uh, I met my now wife, who is actually from Melbourne. So um, she was living and working in Vietnam. At the end of 2016, we we started dating more seriously and decided that we'd had enough of living in Asia, respectively. And so we decided to travel and move back to London, where we spent three years before getting married, and then moved to Melbourne in December of 2019. Yeah, look, I've had plenty of exposure to the business world and the investing side of things really came out of dad's death and, and managing an inheritance. I should add to that picture. So when I was, I was 28 at the time, Loz and I started, you know, getting more serious, decided to leave Asia and I was fed up working for someone else. I really wanted to connect with this capital that I'd been gifted. So I wanted to set up my own businesses. I wanted to, to, to use it to, to work for myself. <clears throat> that took me on a journey, 2017, 18, 19 working as an angel investor. So looking for early stage technology companies to invest into. What's the pitch deck? What's an interesting market? What's defensible technology? What's a good team? And really, that's just so, so early. There's not much data to work from. So it's all about the connection you feel with a founder. And like, why is this person special? What are they going to do to change the world? Um, And that really inspired me to get into entrepreneurship. So I've tried a bunch of startups of my own. All of them failed actually ended up working as a ship broker for a year and a half in Australia, um, which I quit most recently in October. So yeah, I mean, like, like many of us, I guess, you know, testing, trying new things. I figured that in my 20s, that was very much the time to take risk. And as a result, was trying all these different things. Um, but as things stand today, I'd say um, I did some recent numbers. My net wealth is actually lower than it was 10 years ago. So my 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 outset task was, you know, I want to try and 10x this wealth I've been given, but I'm probably sitting at around 70% of what I started with. And that's largely been from, you know, throwing the dice and, and trying to figure some things out, making some terrible investments, um, spending time on my own account. But yeah, you know, it's a great ride life and um, enjoying every minute of it, even if it is very hard at times. 
Is that adjusted for inflation? No, it's not. <laughs> no, great question. Yeah, yeah it's and it's, that's where this bastard's so nefarious. You yes. go, oh, it's just thirty percent down. So, well, no. What's the purchasing power? Yeah, exactly. So, but on the on the upside, you have Bitcoin now. So, uh, so Correct. you you really have yes. uh, way more than you did before, because the well, whatever you had before is going to zero, and whatever you're going to, whatever you have now is going mm-hmm. to inf- to something. <laughs> well, and Knut, just just on that point, the it's inevitable that there is a friction cost when you are trading out of assets in the old system into the new. Yeah. So even if you were to um, sell a piece of real estate for another piece of real estate, you've still got to pay the taxes to buy the next one. You've still got to pay the agent's fees. You've still got to pay all this stuff. And I'll give you one specific example. I had a, a leveraged real estate investment portfolio in London with two apartments. I renovated one. I took debt. And, you know, was managing tenancy contracts. And it's really, it's a small business. And I had fucking no idea what I was doing, right? So which tenancy agent do you work with? Which maintenance company do you work with? What's a good interior designer? How do you know the lease you're signing has not got any holes in it? And I just, I discovered a ton of issues with the property. The, the contract itself had all sorts of holes in it. It was a disaster. And I exited that eight years after making the original decision to go into that investment with around 35 to 40% of the equity. And the reason I decided to exit was, well, I've been sitting with paper value that's completely wrong. So I thought these properties were worth like double what they were. Mm. And when I went to the market to sell them, you know, that's the real value, right? So I've been mispricing them on my balance sheet for seven years. And then it's like, okay, well, if I don't sell and buy Bitcoin... I'm going to maybe make 5%, 10%, whatever the real estate gains in London might be over the next two to five years, which is an order of magnitude different to Bitcoin that actually is less risky. So you get this kind of strange paradigm shift where you're like, hang on, everything yeah. else that you could buy is not as good as this thing, Bitcoin, which has a better risk reward oh. and a better counterparty exposure and better uh, property rights. No, it's like, this is this is insane. Why why would you even bother yeah. with anything else? So it's it's hard. It's hard to even imagine something being better because that sort of takes away the point, <laughs> at least long term. Speaking of real estate, I remember when uh, when I moved together with my wife, we uh, bought an apartment, a, a small apartment, and sold it a year later for a as a twenty percent gain. No, after two years, we got a 20% gain. And uh, after one year after that, we heard the, the guy that bought it from us sold it again for an, yet another 25% gain. So uh, one year shorter time span and there's exponential housing prices. Wow. But anyway, the funny thing was that this buyer, he uh, we tried to agree on a price and he said, I'll buy it for whatever, uh, what's it called? The, the guy that does the evaluation. Is there a specific word mm-hmm. for that? Oh, uh, there'll be a, yeah, a real estate valuer or something. Yeah, yeah. A real estate valuer. So, so whatever the real estate valuer said it was worth, he was willing to pay for it, which is so funny because then yeah, there's a catch 22 there somewhere because the real estate valuer said it's worth this much and the guy bought it for that much just because he said it was worth that much, which made his prediction true. <laughs> you know, so it was, it was worth exactly what the valuer said it was worth, but only 
because the buyer said, I'll buy it for whatever the valuer says. And I instantly started, you know, thinking about value and why is this? What's happening here? What's going on here? And I Mm -hmm. believe this was like around the same time as when I first dipped my toes into the Bitcoin space. I think I had just heard about it at that point and not bought any myself or anything like that or done any Mm -hmm. research. But I remember thinking about value and how, how weird it is that this guy writing a paper is saying that it's worth something is what actually mm-hmm. makes it worth that because the guy agrees to buy it for exactly that. Mm-hmm. So hang on, it's all in our heads, isn't it? <laughs> that's sort of the, the well, only conclusion absolutely. you can draw. And, and that's the <laughs> funny thing. It is all in our heads. It's just that people mm-hmm. don't see that because they think it's real. Which inevitably leads to disaster if if someone has a money printer, of course mm-hmm. it will. Like it, it mm-hmm. cannot not lead to a disaster as long as someone is printing money, because that means the figures on the bills and on your screen in your bank account, they're gonna go up forever. Which means that your purchasing power is going to go down forever. And Bitcoin mm-hmm. does the opposite. Uh, I mean, it brings brings lots of things to mind. So. And you've already highlighted this. So when I said my initial comment that, you know, 10 years ago, I'm probably 30% less wealthy today. Now I've, I've gained lots of things through that process and I still don't feel uncomfortable with that fact based on the risks I've been taking. It's, it's kind of, it makes sense. But mm-hmm. have I adjusted that for inflation? And the answer is no, I haven't. I've still got this emotional number in my mind from 10 years ago that I dug yeah. up yesterday and comparing it to today's like spot prices that I'm managing to compare to. And the real question you have to ask is, well, what's the purchasing power? I'm used to dealing with financial advisors that are very, very good at not talking about purchasing power. Yep. So you can go into a, a, a an investment management meeting and they'll, you know, this is a true story. Back end of last year, I was trying to persuade my brother and sister and my mum that our family investment trust should you know, be buying Bitcoin. And my mum fully on board with it. She comes to it from more of a kind of freedom perspective. And she sees like a lot of the problems with the modern government. But my brother and sister, they they typify Creasus's excellent article, Why the Yuppie Elite Dismiss Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they haven't got massive problems with with the system from that perspective, and therefore they don't necessarily see it yet. But the money manager that we were, you know, comparing with, et cetera, and we were looking at a few options, was like, you should be buying two-year government gilts I was like, why should we be buying UK bonds? He's like, well, you can get 3.5% on, on the bond, and they've currently got a, a tax write-off connected with them, so there's no income tax if you own these bonds. So it's really it's a 7% return. You're like, okay, but inflation's printing at 9% on CPI, if you believe the CPI. So we're still, u- we're still losing 2% of purchasing power. It's like, no one can beat inflation. What is the point of a discretionary money manager who cannot be inflation? Yes. Uh, and that, that comment is so true and so scary. No one can beat right? inflation. It's extremely <laughs> hard to beat inflation, especially in... Uh, I mean, asset uh, allocators are fucked. They're completely fucked. You look at all these huge pension funds. They, they cannot do it. Almost like it's almost impossible. Well, they have one answer. So in, in, in reality... True. Financial advisor is the easiest job in the world for the next hundred years, at least. <laughs> like we were talking to Peter a bit about this briefly, but what financial sure. advisor means 
in the future, going into the future, is what you guys are doing. It's uh, it's key management and helping. I strongly people. believe that. Yeah, yeah, that's the only thing a financial uh, advisor can do, at least during Bitcoin's adoption phase, mm-hmm. and, but probably longer than that as well. And the thing I like about that is it brings to, to mind an easy image to think through. It, you know, just to wind the history books back. You know, gold has an incredible two. 3,000 year history of, of usage as sound money. And of course, humans 5,000. <laughs> 5, okay. Yeah, it's been 5, used 000. for Mesopotamians. <laughs> I, really? I okay. Believe, Thank yeah. you. Well corrected. Yeah. So, so, I hope so I'm not wrong the, here. I'm sure that's correct. The process of storing gold and storing your wealth has difficulties, right? So you, you can be overpowered physically. So, the, the issue with that being, you know, you might be smart, but you might not be strong. So actually someone strong comes along and overpowers you and takes your gold. And the idea that um, out of that comes the gold smelters that actually started storing gold and the process of looking after gold en masse for multiple wealthy people and really the, the kind of the roots of where fractional reserve banking comes from. And the idea that you would actually willingly give your gold to someone who is a specialist at storing it in order to overcome the difficulties with doing that yourself. Um, there's obviously a trade-off between the risk of the counterparty that you're using versus the risk of the real world and trying to save it for yourself. And so I see a Bitcoin advisor um, and essentially a collaborative custody model like what we're promoting as a new form of that. So you don't have the same counterparty risks this time around because I cannot dilute your Bitcoin, which is how the fractional reserve banking model obviously started. You and I both store our gold in one place. Mate, who, who perhaps Luke's running the, the gold, the gold depot and he's like, Oh, they've given me two gold billion. Well, I'm going to lend out 20 and hope they never come back and ask for it. And so this, this is going to be flipped on its head. So you, you can no longer debase your own customers essentially, but equally, there's then not the, the real world physical danger of your gold being stolen off you you just have to look after a key so it's it's that really cool process of you know, looking for takes you back to angel investing what is a 10x on the status quo okay that's a 10x solution i can see that i use it myself it definitely feels that way well that's a really good bet on where the future might go so yeah it's it's really exciting yeah, that reminds me of uh, speaking of the frac- fractional reserve banking system. That's one of the first rabbit holes I fell down before finding Bitcoin, and I think it's a prerequisite. I stumbled upon a this is fifteen years back, maybe. I stumbled upon a small YouTube uh, video series called Money as Debt, which is mm-hmm. an a- animated series describing how banking was born when someone had a vault and. The- started having people pay for having their gold in his vault mm-hmm. and then soon realized what you just alluded to like giving up more receipts for gold than there was gold in the vault and that mm-hmm. works since you have to pay back whatever money he lends out with interest the banker gets insanely rich from from this fraud what happens is that sooner or later those people figure out what's wrong and then there's a bank run mm-hmm. And a central bank is basically just a cartel of bankers making sure that whenever there's a bank run on one of the banks, there's a lender of last resort, which is the same Mm -hmm. thing, but bigger. So all of these Mm -hmm. things come to a state of too big to fail, which is why they've survived for so long and which is why they rule the world now. And we live in this system of absolute Mm -hmm. fraud. 
and it's it's disgusting. The world runs on a pyramid scheme, a literal pyramid scheme, where the master money printer is the Federal Reserve in the U.S. And whenever they print dollars, they effectively print oil, and everyone else has to pay for it because you price mm. oil in in dollars. And they're like they're, they're pickpocketing from every other citizen except U.S. citizens. Whenever they increase the money supply, which was increased by 20% during the lockdowns. So there's 20% more dollars in circulation than before the lockdowns, at least, which is just mind boggling. They stole a sixth of, of everything from everyone except US citizens, maybe within a year. And when, when you see it like that, it's like kind of becomes the, the no brainer of the century. Absolutely. Is, is that the way you see it, by the way? I mean, the first thing that I must say and comes to mind is just Bitcoin is the most infinitely fascinating conversation. And it just touches on so many areas of life that you just never expect to to come across. And already like talking about the, the background on fractional reserve banking. And that for me, that brings to mind, you know, a future I see happening is most wealth will be secured in Bitcoin self-custody. Like that's the that's the really, really easy place. It's money, it's savings, it's not an investment. And that's going to be the preferred vehicle for most families to store wealth over time and over generations. Saying that, there will be a demand for liquidity that will be supplied by families who want to actually put some of that Bitcoin to work for yield. So I will not be surprised if we see a banking market in which a, a Bitcoin is taken onto the balance sheet of a bank and the bank, much like they do today with depositors' funds, can then lend out credit against that. And it's something like 20x or whatever they're legally allowed to leverage at this point. I don't see why that wouldn't happen in the future. Whilst your, your story about how central banks rule the world, it's completely true, but it's actually not very obvious. And that's one of the fun things about going down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and really asking these questions. It's like, well, hang on. They can literally print their own money whenever they want to do whatever they want with, which presumably means they can pay for anyone, which therefore means, well, hang on, what do I know that they want me to know and believe is true? You know, it's a complete kind of mindset change on how you view the world. And it's, yeah. it's interesting that the most powerful organizations in the world actually kind of function in the, in the shadows. You know, you never yeah. really see a central banker on TV. Why? No. Yeah, you see their sock puppets, all right. But even the bigger names are mostly that, I think. Knut, let me ask you, in, in all of your time researching Bitcoin and the connection to the Federal Reserve in the story that Bitcoin is, have you ever found out who the shareholders for the Federal Reserve actually are? Well, as far as I know, the, the BlackRock and Vanguard own uh, practically everything in the world, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's big investment f firms. but. Uh, who owns those? I, I think the real, the real big players are probably they're the real shadowy super coders, <laughs> mm. and that's why it's so important to to not only use Bitcoin as an investment or, or like, but but to start accepting Bitcoin for your goods and services because that's how we mm -hmm. move. Whenever we we deny the old system to rob us by by moving into this new thing, mm -hmm. uh, and the old system needs us to thrive. That's like, and this is what's so hard to wrap around your head. Whenever you use a dollar or a euro or a 
Australian dollar or a pound or whatever, whatever fiat currency you're using, you're you're financing horrendous things, wars and, you know, slavery. That's what you're paying for. Whatever you use it, each and every time you're stealing from your kids. And it can be very hard to wrap your head around, but that's what it's effectively doing. And study how how money comes to be. Don't just take my word for it or your word for it. Try to figure out how this works and ask yourself the question, if inflation is needed for uh, the economy to work, why don't we just double the supply of money for everyone in the world at the same time? Why don't we just 10x it and pretend that each $100 bill is worth $1,000? Why doesn't that work? <laughs> because 2% inflation is the same thing. It doesn't work for the exact same reason that just pretending that there's another zero on the bills work, doesn't work. Because there's nothing there. It's it's just what we what we think it's worth and what we're willing to give up for it. But the money itself is just a piece of paper or just a number on a screen. A Bitcoin is a completely different beast. It's a number on a screen, sure, but it's a number on a screen we can verify the validity of, and we can verify that it actually is a part of the first, the world's first and last digital pie. It's really awesome, Clint, for you to, to share all that. Just even today, or in the last week or so, I've been getting so wrapped up in in fiat denominations and I've been looking at my Bitcoin allocation and thinking that it hasn't performed well enough in fiat terms and my expenses in my life have been higher than I expected. Two kids going on holiday, businesses that I was starting or trying to create income from hadn't worked as well as I wanted. So my, my fiat balance sheet was significantly lower and I'd completely miscalculated something that I owned as well. So I literally had to write 15% of my net wealth off in like one click of a button. But even that is a good reminder of the valuations we have down on paper are different to reality in some ways. So I thought I owned a certain amount of, of fiat wealth. And in one stroke of a button, I've had to reduce it by 15% because I'd actually made an error 18 months before calculating an equity valuation fuck, that's a problem. But then it's also like, you're so conditioned to think in dollars or pounds or whatever you, you grew up with, I'm almost undervaluing my Bitcoin stack. And and listening to you talk through those fundamental facts, just, oh, I've got this sense of kind of calm and bliss come across my body where I'm like, no, Jake, you've been deep down this hole for years now, researching, learning, and, and getting comfortable with what you're doing for this very reason, Right is that risk in the fiat system is totally underplayed and is actually far higher than what anyone will ever ever talk about. And the potential of Bitcoin in a purchasing power perspective hasn't even really got going in some ways because we're so early in the adoption process. So whew, it's actually really nice to hear you say all those things. <laughs> yeah, and when you talk about you know banking on Bitcoin and stuff, the, the big difference mm. I, I see coming is that when everyone can verify the supply of the thing, interest rates will go to what they're supposed to be, which is very, very high. And then over time, they will go down, but not to negative like they do now in fiat, which is an impossibility. Negative interest rates is laughable. Retarded. 
there is no such thing as a, a negative time preference. Everyone values now more than later. That's how we function. And that's why you can put a price on giving up the now for the later, which is what you do when you give someone a loan. So negative interest rates can't happen in reality. They're a mirage. But what happens in a functioning economy is that interest rates go down without these artificial ways of pushing it down and someone on top telling us that now we're taking it down a notch. Yeah, it's now 0.5%. No, because there becomes a free market of the future. I can give you a better loan than this guy can. But still, Mm -hmm. on a Bitcoin standard, I think interest rates, if you take out a mortgage to buy a house, for instance, uh, the interest rate will be at least 15%. I'm taking that out of my thin air. But I mean, let's but, just but, talk through what debt still, is from a fundamental yeah. perspective, Knut. Yeah. So can you but, talk but to me I, about... Just, just a final point, because Please. it will be obvious to people that it's better to just save, save the Bitcoin and buy the house later. Wait a couple mm. of years. Patience will be rewarded. Okay, go on. Well, I, I just wanted to it'd be quite a fun exercise. So um, when you talk about interest rates being very high, just from a, an asset allocation perspective, the way that I see things at the moment, there's really only one place that you want to be putting your money, and that's into Bitcoin. Because the capital appreciation or purchasing power, retention or growth that you're going to get from that is will, will outpace everything else when you can have it in self-custody without being debased. Uh, this is an extraordinary innovation that is going to really you know, create waves in the investment world. Um, but when it comes to debt, it's like, okay, well, basically everything has to be priced against Bitcoin's purchasing power. So where do you see Bitcoin going in the next 12 months? If someone applies for a 12-month long loan, okay, if Bitcoin might double, then why in the hell would I give you any money that isn't going to double my money, if that makes sense? So yeah. how, how do you see debt functioning in that world where you're not going to pay, I mean, maybe you would because you'd have the Bitcoin on your balance sheet and it would double anyway and you're taking risk with it and maybe you're making a return. I, I don't know. How, how will that function, do you think? Well, to begin with, when you say, when I think about my money, and then you start talking like you were thinking about your fiat. But if you're mm. really thinking about your money as your Bitcoin, it's equivalent to your money because that's actually your money. Your fiat is not your money. Your fiat mm-hmm. is your legacy thing that you still need for some bullshitty things that oh, are forced yeah. upon you by people who haven't evolved yet. So that's the first thing you think about money as your Bitcoin. And as you say, it may very well be much better for you to either charge a 200% interest rate or just not give the money away at all. So in order for you to make an investment using your Bitcoin stack, the investment needs to be able to outperform that. So the only Mm -hmm. thing to invest in is Bitcoin companies from that perspective. Mm-hmm. I see a place, so equity investing on a Bitcoin standard, at some point, price to earnings of Bitcoin versus an equity opportunity will make sense. It will make sense to put capital into a, an equity investment because the returns that they can create in what you believe that, you know, two year, whatever the horizon might be, will be better yeah. than Bitcoin. But debt, when it's like a fixed rate of return over a period of time, mm. to me, the mechanics of that don't really make any sense. No, so, especially when it comes back to housing, you know, housing has been financialized. It's a consumer good, a house. It deteriorates over yeah, time. Exactly. So they don't make sense as investments. They're, they're actually a, a huge signal of how bad the money is that we're using yeah. houses as money. 
but they can be they can be both the you know what constitutes a capital good and a consumer good is also in the eye of the beholder it's also subjective so a, a house sure. can very well be a capital good if you use it for uh, as an airbnb which is happening mm-hmm. more and more I heard some crazy figure that like half of the property sold in the US last year were bought with the intention of using them as an Airbnb, uh, which is just crazy. It's just a funneling of wealth from the middle and lower classes into the super rich. That's how fiat works, because you win the fiat game by taking on debt and buying assets and capital goods. Uh, yeah. So, so in the short term, well, it makes a hell of a lot of sense to take on a huge mortgage or a huge loan in, uh, in fiat to buy Bitcoin, which is what Michael Saylor and MicroStrategy are doing. And uh, that's one thing you could invest in is MicroStrategy stock. Yeah. That's going up in value. It's riskier than Bitcoin because you don't know that they will keep on doing what they're doing. But, but right now, it's a riskier, but probably a better yielding investment than just holding Bitcoin. So this is this is the short term future I see like Bitcoin companies only. No other companies mm-hmm. are worth worth even a thought, because mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing there. It's all going to shit. It literally wow. is all going to shit. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? And again, like, in one's day job, you can get so kind of close to something. You can't, you need to take a breath, take a step back. It's the evening. We're having a great podcast chat. It's like, it's so true. Knick. I wouldn't be buying a single equity in anything unless it had some kind of Bitcoin standard base to it. Although saying that I do recently, and I don't know what you think about this. I, I like the phrase fats flow. And I've been thinking through some terminology that might develop over time, but the, the Bitcoin advisor is a sats flowing business in that we charge a 1% management fee for the, the management of a key over a year and people pay in sats rather than in fiat for that. So it's a sats flowing business. That's great. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. But I actually now in some ways look at small businesses as previously I would like, you'd never start a cafe. Fucking nightmare. Hugely operational and intensive, ties you to a physical location. Lots can go wrong. Same applies to a barber's or, you know, any other local store that you might look at because it can't scale. They might save a certain amount of profit per year, EBITDA of 5%, happy days. Well, how do you grow? Well, you've got to start another one and then you've got to start another one and you can start another one. You've got to scale physically. So, well, how do you deliver the same bacon and eggs across X many plates on X many locations to the same quality you did, you know, in your local neighborhood? It's very difficult to do. But now a cafe can take that dollar amount that it has saved over the year of operations and buy Bitcoin. And so on their balance sheet, they're going to potentially now own an asset that is going to perform as we expect. And that makes investing in small businesses completely different in my view. So you could kind of adopt a Bitcoin standard. You don't necessarily have to be creating Bitcoin products to create sats flow. And I would look at it as like a native SaaS flow business and a non-native SaaS flow business is some of the terminology I was thinking of. Um, have you ever had anyone talk through that before? Yeah, I have a, I have an example of that. The, the uh, Maya Coffee in uh, Funchal, Madeira, which is okay. the f- first cafe there to accept Bitcoin as payment. And awesome. in, the first thing that happens is that all Bitcoiners go to that. Whenever there's Bitcoiners on the island, they go there to <laughs> awesome. buy their coffee. And I awesome. envision like this is how this is how you orange pill a community somewhere. You you don't orange pill all the restaurants at once, but you make one restaurant the restaurant that accepts mm. Bitcoin. 
and that mm-hmm. tips tips the waiters in Bitcoin and whatever. And then mm-hmm. all the Bitcoiners flock there because there's a buzz about this place. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. all the all the neighboring businesses will see the Bitcoiners flock there. They will wonder why are they going to to um, you know Fat Tony's restaurant, not, but not to mine. Like, and the only way for them to compete is to accept Bitcoin themselves. Then comes the all the taxes and regulations and stuff. But like, if you're really in in your mind living in the future. Why worry too much about what the old world? Because the old world is bizarre when they think that they can put a tag on a service, really, uh, on, on anything, really. On a Bitcoin standard, they, that makes much less sense. Because like, if you have a coffee shop, for instance, what's going to stop you from taking a lightning payment and not telling anyone about it? Sure, that's what we call a black market. But a black market is needed everywhere. Because the, it, it is not the black market that is the bad guy here. It's the white market. Because the white market is, as we talked about before, bankrupt. It's bankrupt and it's corrupt in its core. And it's doing mm. no good for no one. I mean, I don't want to urge people to become criminals. But I do want to urge people to figure out who the real criminals are here <laughs> and to, to look beyond their own jurisdiction and see, like, what is the future what does the future mm. hold and which societies will thrive and which ones will be left behind? That's why I see Bitcoin as the great equalizer for the world, because the developing countries, they get it instantly or at least way faster than the uh, the more quote unquote developed countries. So if we can get a Bitcoin standard going in El Salvador and later Costa Rica and, uh, you know, the Central mm. African Republic and all these communities in Argentina and Cuba and places that have been mm. just fucked over for decades, mm. those places are going to fare better than places like Scandinavia, for instance, where the, the where the government snoops around in absolutely everything. And there's, they only accept card payments everywhere. There's not even cash in society mm. anymore, which is just wow. disastrous. So I think this is the great equalizer of opportunity for for the world it's like the opposite of foreign aid it, it's not uh, poor people <laughs> in in wealthy countries paying for rich people in poor countries it's wealthy people in in rich countries benefiting poor people in poor countries so i just love it today's show is brought to you by our sponsors first up orange pill app stack friends who stack sats meet like-minded bitcoiners near you and help speed up hyper bitcoinization with orange pill app Bitcoin isn't an online-only phenomenon, and Orange Pill App helps facilitate the social layer, connecting Bitcoiners in their local area. It maintains your privacy through the whole process, and since you have to pay to access the app, you know that everyone there cares about Bitcoin and is high signal. A great new feature is events. You can create events and meetups right from the Orange Pill App and help build your local community while maintaining the Bitcoin-only signal. Orange Pill App is available on iOS and Android. Download now. Next up, Wasabi Wallet, an open-source, non-custodial desktop wallet that is trustless, easy to use, and affordable. It has CoinJoin built in to facilitate your privacy. Every Bitcoin transaction leaves a clear footprint, but with Wasabi, you can make sure that others can't track your steps and threaten your sovereignty. Just send your coins to Wasabi Wallet, wait, and your coins will be private on the other end. It's open-source, trustless by design, and non-custodial. You have full control over your keys. Check it out now at wasabiwallet.io. So when I was doing Bitcoin with Jake, I did 80 episodes in the end. And, you know, one book 
on my journey uh, that I really love was Alex Gladstein's Check Your Financial Privilege. And yeah, um, that inspired me to to make sure that I, you know, I, I spoke to as a bigger range of people as I could possibly find. And I was really focused on personal journey. And so, again, to, to dig up my angel investing days, it's like the more diverse a background of group of people I could get who were clearly making Bitcoin a meaningful part of their life was as good a signal as I could possibly find that it was a sensible place to make a reallocation, to use a kind of investing term. And so having spoken to people in Guatemala, Kenya, uh, Nigeria, El Salvador, these are places that have terrible financial services in comparison to what I grew up with, but they don't need, you don't need to sell Bitcoin to them. That was what was so fascinating. They, They get it. Immediately, they get it. Because they know the system's corrupt and they know it's not going to help them as it is. And then they just start using Bitcoin. And so the, the adoption rates, and I'm, I think it's a, a chain analysis report you can dig up that, that shows this in emerging economies or developing nations, however you want to describe them, the, the adoption rates are through the roof. And so they don't need to be persuaded that you need to own Bitcoin versus anything else. It's like, oh, that's what we use now because it makes sense. And that for me was a big moment in terms of understanding the importance of this monetary network and understanding that by moving my capital across into Bitcoin, I was going to also help all those other people that were using the network already to make it secure and then to promote it in the way that I was, was also helping to, in a strange way, overthrow the the fiat-denominated world that you know, when you start digging into the IMF and how that functions in the World Bank and these despots that they keep in charge of countries in order to you know, continue to loan money to them, even though the populace is getting completely screwed by it. It's just fucking criminal. So yeah, there's, there's so much to learn, but it's the information's out there if you go and find it. And, and podcasts are brilliant. It's basically just one large primary research project. It is. And as Michael was saying yesterday, Luke, these podcasts are probably going to stick around for a long time and the people are going to study them. Like there's a high probability that our grandchildren will study what we say here. Oh, uh, wow. You reckon? Uh, yeah, but well, if Bitcoin does what we think it will, the things that they'll go back to and study the the prehistory. Like, like people were talking about it. Yeah, you know, I, I like so, to think of podcasts as a. I use a phrase called digital breadcrumbs. Oh, and yeah. I can't remember where I kind of came across that or thought about it. It, it. it was also inspired by a conversation. Basically, people are saying to me, Jake, you know, you're epitomizing the concept of like a proof of work project, and now. You know, you did your newsletter stuff, you did your podcast stuff. I've now, you know, started a, a founding team of a Bitcoin business. And I'm basically full-time in the Bitcoin world. It's like, awesome. You've made the transition. It wouldn't have been possible if you hadn't done all of this due diligence and proof of work, essentially. Being your own bank is a really nice phrase that you come across when you're researching Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. You're like, what do you mean being your own bank? Like, that's inc- that's insane. Who does that? And then you suddenly realize that actually it's very easy and I can do it myself. But it, it made me think of the phrase being your own brand. And there's really just no excuse for people that are like myself, who are, you know, I come from a commercial background, used to do business development work. I enjoy writing, talking. You can get online and you can just start talking about this thing. And you leave digital breadcrumbs throughout the digital world in some way. And eventually that kind of builds up impetus and people end up reaching out to you and opportunities come from it and new friends, etc. So it's kind of cool to think. So what a hundred years from now, the the digital breadcrumbs I'm referring to might be might be studied by someone. I guess so. 
Yeah, I just had to tweet, be your own central bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's a funny one because having spent time in the tech startup space, like peak fiat, some of this, right? So I ended up in some accelerator programs. They call themselves talent investment vehicles. And they're mm -hmm. effectively a venture capital fund that markets themselves very effectively online to wannabe entrepreneurs. And they talk about you know having complementary skills and they stick you in a room together for three months and they pay you a little bit of a stipend to be there. It was like a real, a real life dragon's den. You're like mm -hmm. introducing yourself and it could be your founder of a billion dollar company. And they're looking for the next Google and they're trying to make you have a mindset of like extremely large, extremely fast. And it's all about move fast, break things. That very kind of Silicon Valley yeah. ethos. And it's just fascinating how how different that is to Bitcoin in so many yeah. ways. Like Bitcoin is all about like this guy, no one knows who fucking Satoshi is, he, she, they, whoever they might be. And they built it, made sure it worked, popped it out in the open, and then have disappeared without like getting any feedback from it. It's crazy. I can't yeah, remember I why I started down that 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 story about <laughs> peak fiat, but oh that's right. Sorry. In the tech startup space, we talk a lot about disruption. And you know, you want to set up a company that's going to disrupt so and so marketplace. You know, uh, home insurance is fucked. It's a really bad customer service. Let's go and revamp home insurance. Let's disrupt it. And it wasn't until I heard someone say Bitcoin disrupts central banks that I think it really kind of clocked. It's like, ah. Okay, we're disrupting central banking. And I'd never, ever, ever, ever heard of any technology product, any startup, anything that was, that was disrupting central banking. You know, commercial banking, different. Retail banking, different. There's, you know, fintech businesses all over the place. But no one was talking about disrupting central banking. And that was another moment where I go, oh, this is really interesting. Yeah, and the ethos of Bitcoin is really move slow and conserve things rather than move fast and break mm -hmm. things. So it's the opposite. <laughs> By the way, one of my latest framings about this might even be a book one day. <coughs> it's that Bitcoin is one divided by clown world. So what we're living in now is a product of the fiat paradigm running amok for 50 years, which has mm. led to all this move fast and break things mindset and stuff. I mean, some people argue that some of it is good, but yeah. I don't know about that. I don't think like central planners could ever, you know, produce stuff as efficiently as just letting the market forces play out themselves. But the thing is, Bitcoin is like the antidote to all of the cringy stuff in, in modern society. Uh, mm -hmm. So whatever's happening here, Bitcoin is the, the literal inverse of it. It's not, it's not negative clown world, it's the inverse of clown world. No, and it makes sense in an environment where the dollars that you can raise as funding are disintegrating in value. Yeah. So in some ways, you know, those VC funds, like Andreessen Horowitz, I knew of well before Bitcoin became a big part of my life. And they're obviously a, a huge shitcoin VC these days um, in, in all the worst ways. But before that, you know, they do have solid roots in, in tech entrepreneurship and did some really cool stuff. And that type of model was all about going in early and going in fucking hard with as much cash as you could and not necessarily worrying about profitability, just worrying about growth. And growth meant you could raise more capital. And if you could raise more capital, then you could grow. And you could raise more capital and grow. And this is kind of this idea of, of just monstrous speed, basically. Like Uber didn't make money for a long, long time. 
but actually, you know, it's managed to become a digital monopoly and now it makes good money. Or Amazon didn't yeah. make money for a long, long time and then becomes a digital monopoly yeah. and can make money. And so in, in a, in a fiat denominated world where the dollars are disintegrating, speed is key to actually surviving. And so I, I can see why the incentive is in place and the, the failure rate, it doesn't fucking matter. If you get one big one, who cares? And obviously in, in Bitcoin, that changes because you're incentivized to save. It's like, well, hang on. Why? I don't want to spend my Bitcoin. No way. What, what are you giving for me in exchange for the Bitcoin? Oh, you want something that I don't care about? Well, you're not getting it. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it does take a lot of yeah. work to kind of flip your head around. Yeah, really. Luke, let's bring you in. Do you have any questions for Jake? Sounds good. Yeah, thanks, Jake. Uh, first of all, uh, I really liked your uh, your story, and uh, I don't think we've we've really had a conversation on this show that's that's so much into kind of the practicalities of in- investment, and and th- th- these angles are important to a lot of people. And and it's not that we don't think about that stuff here, but we we certainly spend a little more time in the the clouds, so to say, than in the actual practicalities for people. So this has been a, a really good discussion on on that point. But I, I actually wanted to direct us back. Can you can you walk us through what the Bitcoin Advisor product actually is and uh, how it would work in practice for people who are joining it and using it? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, you've got to hear about us. We're going to be as active as we can uh, in terms of our organic marketing approach. So, you know, newsletters, Twitter or X as it's now called, um, YouTube podcasts, etc. Just really talking about the the product as much as we can and getting our name out there. So that's number one. You've got to hear about us, and hopefully from this conversation now, someone out there might might decide to do something about it. So hit the website, and number one aim for us is to to provide a very very high level of service. And unlike a an exchange business, for example, that's looking for volume you will be able to book a one-on-one consultation with myself or either of my business partners um, to set up a, an introductory call and potential onboarding. Subject to the call going as we hope, the, the process will, will basically talk to you about what the product is and how it works and why we think it's an important part of a high net wealth investment portfolio. To, to share a little insight, we've only been going for, for two months. Um, I don't want to necessarily be totally transparent on how much value we've signed up, but the average customer we're signing up, they are coming with nine Bitcoin. So a significant amount of value in the fiat world that people, they're just worried about what if, what if the seed phrase I've stored in my book, in that bookcase doesn't get found? What if my wife who doesn't know how to work the hardware wallet I've given her, but has only used it once. And if I did die, you know, would be really grief stricken and might not be able to work it. What if the the device I share with my brother gets lost? What if, what if, what if? Long story short, if you're buying Bitcoin, number one, get it off the exchange. The exchange itself represents a huge amount of counterparty risk that is not very obvious on first glance because they're nicely marketed to you. But if you can take it off the exchange, you can then get it over to a Bitcoin wallet. Now, you can have... A single key vault, totally fine, or you can have a multi-sig vault. With the single key, you are a single point of failure in some ways. So, you know, I could have a key for just myself, but if for whatever reason that key, I, I you know, I fucked it up, I either lost the key or the, the recovery passphrase was also lost, then boom, your Bitcoin's gone. 
or I died and my inheritance was never acted upon correctly and no one could find the key or there was some kind of issue with, with accessing the vault, then it's gone. So by increasing to a two of three multi-sig vault, the, the, the Bitcoin is still extremely secure. But if you were to engage with the Bitcoin advisor, you then include a, an expert key management part of this process. So you know, we've literally had people pick up the phone within 45 minutes. They're totally sold on the fact that, you know, we're not going to fuck them over and the, the, the product is perfect for them. And they're very, very happy to sign up as customers. One guy even goes as far as all I need to know is if I give my wife a phone number, if something terrible happens, she can just call you, right? We're like, yes, she can. Now, quite rightly, people say, well, could you not collude with the multi-sig provider somehow to, to steal our funds? Unbelievably good question. And it's one that I asked as well. So to explain a little further about that, our current partner of choice is Unchained Capital. So the Austin-based multi-sig provider. Now, the idea of the Bitcoin advisor is we're actually technology agnostic. So uh, Nunchuck is another business that we're talking to about potentially working with. And it's really down to the customer's preference. If you wanted to choose a different business to to work with, then we'd be open to that. And our model uh, slides in with, with uh, other platforms. So yeah, so you sign up as a customer, you sign some paperwork to agree. There is a fee, of course, for our services, which is 1% of Bitcoin under management for the year, which is paid in sats. And maybe fire away some questions, Luke, that might have come up through that process. But I hope that's a a good explanation as to some of the use cases and how it actually works and what you can expect on signing up. Yeah, and and uh, the instant question I I have is what what practically would someone need to get started? Do because I'm I'm familiar. Our listeners might not be so so the okay. the, un, the unchained model though from from my understanding is that you need at least two hardware wallets yourself or two wallets let's just um make that slightly more mm-hmm. general there and then they custody a third that's like their basic um mm-hmm. thing um so is that the same uh setup that someone would need like you help them get the the parts that they're custodying themselves that sort of thing what's the more yeah, so, practical part of it yeah, yeah so i'll just i mean literally this is this is the process i personally went through so we touched on this earlier in the conversation I was researching multi-sig providers and I liked, well, in particular, Parker Lewis, absolutely excellent Bitcoin educator and therefore kind of was exposed to Unchained, did a sign up with them. And Michael Tanjuma did the sign up with me, who's now setting up on-ramp Bitcoin, which is a cool business. And with them, they keep one key. And if you sign up as an individual, then you go through a, a key sign up process with Unchained on a call where you have two trezors or two ledgers or two whichever hardware device you, you, you choose to go with. And they help you, um, you know, set the key up and get it functioning. Now, with that system, you have to manage two keys of the three yourself. And so what I did is under Unchained's guidelines, I separated those keys physically. So first of all, I had the actual hardware wallets. I had two trezors. So one was in my house, another was in a, a local lockbox that I went and hired. And then I had two seed phrases in steel tubes uh, hidden in other locations. Ultimately, I realized that, you know, first of all, if I was to get hit by a bus tomorrow, which is kind of my tweet bio at the moment, like what happens to your Bitcoin? Well, I realized that my wife, although she was taught how to use 
one hardware wallet once. She didn't know where the lockbox was. And even if she did, the lockbox company wouldn't allow her entry because she wasn't the person who owned the box. It was me. And she also didn't know the locations of the backup steel coils. She didn't know where they were. So it's like, okay, quite a lot could go wrong there. And when there's significant value stored in this multi-sig vault, a absolutely catastrophic cock-up of your inheritance plan is if no one can get it, right? That's like, that's a complete balls up. And in the traditional land of fiat, you would have had, or I did have assets under management with a wealth management business. You have a lawyer, so your solicitor's got a will, and you have an accountant, and they're all in cahoots with each other. It's like a process, you know, the will gets issued, and then potentially you set up a trust that is not the same taxable gains. Everyone knows what the money manager was looking after, and it's quite clear how to disperse it. But Bitcoin changes all of that. And so this is a, a very early product, frankly. I think we'll see a huge, huge huge innovation over the years to come as to how this works. But key management is a proxy for a will. If you've got the key, you've got the Bitcoin. If you haven't got the key, then you haven't got the Bitcoin. So a solicitor's process is going to be like almost null and void, to be honest, other than you know saying, okay, I give the key to my wife. My wife, please give it to our three kids or whatever you might have written in your will. But still, there's not going to be a legal entity involved. But ultimately, I, I came across Pete and his business managing one of those two keys. So instead of having a key at the local lockbox business, I now manage a key with the Bitcoin advisor. And I pay the Bitcoin advisor for that service. And it's it's just a, an additional layer that makes me just so much more comfortable with having you know bought the Bitcoin that I have. And I feel safer at night that you know, if something awful were to happen to me tomorrow, then my wife could call Pete or call Andy and you know figure out how to get the Bitcoin. Equally, if both of us happen to be like flying somewhere, then I know that, that they'd be able to look after the, the Bitcoin for my kids and it would go to them. In other words, you hold one, the Bitcoin advisor holds one, and yes, hold correct. one. That's okay. Correct. That's yeah. correct. Okay. There we go. Yeah, now, now I've got it. But, that's that's innovative. There are options, right? As you said, like, so if you want to hold two yourself and one with the advisor, that's also possible, right? I, I haven't looked at that structure yet, but with the multi-sig, it's, it is, of course, completely variable. Yeah. So, you know, however you want to set it up, you can. We don't currently have any customers set up how you just suggested, Knut, but, no. um, the, the idea, and we're still very early, right? Building this business, but how I would like to see it is, the relationship that the Bitcoin advisor has with its customers is about securing their wealth for multi-generations. And so whatever technology setup is the best for that, then mm. that's the right way to yeah. go. Um, because so we can figure out what the best way of doing it is. Because I'm thinking like, if I hold one key and a person within my family that I completely trust holds the other one, then mm-hmm. the advisor should hold the third one. But I, you said that many of you, I, I sort of question, not that I don't trust you guys, but from a hypo, hypothetical perspective, playing the devil's advocate here, there is a risk that you're in, in cahoots with Unchained and can potentially mm-hmm. take all the Bitcoins. So if two out of three keys are stored with third parties, I mean, mm-hmm. that sort of goes against the ethos. <laughs> so, so how this currently works is an important distinction to make because, of course, well, first of all, from an incentive perspective, we completely kill our business if we steal clients' funds. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that, you know, that's, that's the business sort of the gone big one. Yeah. overnight. 
so, so that doesn't make sense for us to do well, well, just well, from an incentive perspective. The, I guess play the devil's advocate again. Suck if, everyone if, in and steal, and that's basically what Celsius did, isn't it? I mean, yeah, true, fair call. So, okay, yeah, so let's so, put so, that altruistic yeah, point but, aside. But if I may just play the devil's advocate there, if someone comes with a significantly larger proportion of Bitcoin than all your other customers, say if your total sum of Bitcoin stored for other people is 100, and then someone mm. comes along with 200 Bitcoins, then, mm. you know, if you're doing adversarial thinking, it would be better for the Bitcoin advisor to just dump their business model altogether and steal those 200 Bitcoins. Yeah. Okay, so... so- Putting aside the altruistic point, what are the chances of us colluding and, and taking funds under management? There is a when you log into your unchained account, in order to log in, you have to use a two-factor authentication that we get set up. That two-factor authentication goes to the customer's mobile phone. So it's impossible for us to get into an unchained account to move anything with the key that we have without that 2FA. Okay, uh, let's go on here. Uh, I, sorry about this, but uh, I just love deep, deep diving into this stuff. That is only true unless Unchained and the Bitcoin advice are already colluding behind the scenes because there could be a backdoor. So if you know the guy who programmed the two-fact authentication thing for Unchained, then you could get yeah. into the account. I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm going to play the devil's advocate to Knut's devil's advocate because I think you're, you're right. giving too hard, too hard of a time here. I, I think no, I, don't, I'm, I welcome a hard time. I do honestly. <laughs> that's that's the whole process of of starting new things and and getting this up and running. I I was happy to do this as as my own process, but people might not be. Luke, please, sorry, I cut you off. Slightly. No, no, no. Uh, the the main thing that i think i'm i'm trying to uh, as i as i understand it and actually as we talked with uh, with peter earlier today uh on this this topic kind of generally and and i i i think we'll have to have more conversations with your your team as well because uh first of all great people i mean we're we're big fans of uh peter here first of all we've had him on the show before and and uh, now cool. yourself and so he's a great guy yeah exactly exactly so so i think from the from the people side couldn't be better and then as far as the target that you're looking for here the customer that you have in mind is probably not the ultra cypherpunk who wants to do everything themselves and uh, is comfortable with keeping their bitcoin and wealth 100% under their own control having these these safeguards and this inheritance and stuff like that, that's kind of a different mm. type of people and it's also about reaching out to people who are not bitcoiners so to say as in mm. have not fully adopted the ethos as to you alluded to right so of, of course i think uh, making sure for sure that there are no ways that uh, btc advisor sorry bitcoin advisor can can collude uh, mm-hmm. uh, with your provider and, and and all this that's that's important but i think the the ethos part of it definitely it makes sense that you're you're doing something else this is this is not for the cypherpunk bitcoin maxi unless they they think that this is a useful way for them to be a little more secure in their inheritance i think that's the key point here what's your take on my take i i say thank you for saving me luke (laughs) i welcome as much investigation into this as possible and it's really only for a month or so i've been working in the business full-time and publicly so my ability to answer these questions will improve on being tested so can you I, i welcome your questions thank you 
And if they're not up to scratch, then I will go away and do some work and figure out, you know, exactly how to answer them in the future to be as clear as possible. Um, Sorry to be hard on you. (laughs) No, that's okay. No, no, no. Honestly, it's it's great, mate. Bring it on. The, the, The truth is there is a business opportunity here. And the business opportunity, our ideal customer is not a totally self sovereign Bitcoin maxi. There is a, you relinquish some security by including the Bitcoin advisor as a key manager in your multi six setup. That trade off is a gray area. Some people will be totally okay with it. Some people will not be okay with it. And it just depends on, you know, horses for courses. So the the average customer, I think, is generally going to be someone that is already managing a portfolio of wealth. So they already pay 1% per annum to a money manager of some form to manage discretionarily their equities and bond portfolios. And they're going, these guys aren't making me a good enough return. Bitcoin's killing it over on this side. I want to get into Bitcoin. But they've also read about the scams that are out there, the different exchanges that cause problems, and that self-custody is what they'd like to do. But, you know, I had a guy email me, he's 77 years old this weekend. He's been watching the podcast. He's like, yeah, well, I know that my time's not far off and I've got to get my inheritance stuff in place. You know, th- this is a great option for me potentially. And like, okay, that, that's probably more similar to the kind of person that might be interested. But it, like, we're getting all different types of people popping out of the woodwork. It's one of those rather incredible things. You, you stick your head above the parapet and you say, look, we're here. We've got this product. Who's interested? And all sorts of interesting people have come to us. So yeah, I mean, if you've got nine Bitcoins today and you can hold them for the next 10 years, they're going to be a very, very wealthy person. To sort of round this part of the conversation out uh, on mm. an op- optimistic note, is that if should you fail with all of your inheritance plan and your kids, the, your Bitcoins are lost forever, then what you've effectively done is what Michael Saylor alluded to in our interview, that you've done the most altruistic thing ever. You've shared your wealth with the people who share your mm-hmm. values because mm-hmm. you've evenly distributed them around the Bitcoin Bitcoin users by just increasing the scarcity of the asset. So there's really no way to fail unless which, you get unless which in you get robbed. Is, <laughs> it's so contrary in that, isn't it? Like what do you mean by if I just leave them there forever? In some ways I'm benefiting everyone in the network anyway, because of the reduction in supply and the increase in scarcity. Well, I get that. But then the idea that people will do that as the ultimate kind of philanthropic move is pretty badass, isn't it? To be honest, like forget setting up bullshit fronts for, you know, vaccine manufacturer and calling it philanthropy. They'll actually just say, do you know what? All those Bitcoin in that wallet, don't move them. (laughs) (laughs) The show is also sponsored by BitcoinBook.shop, the Bitcoin only bookstore by Consensus Network. Consensus specializes in translations of Bitcoin books and also publishes original titles in English and many other languages. Check out bitcoinbook.shop for all your Bitcoin book needs. Consensus is always looking for new contributors, whether you have a book you want to publish, you want to help translate books into your native language, or you have some other way you want to get involved. So if you want to help spread the Bitcoin message, reach out to Consensus Network by Twitter or email. Details are in the show notes. I think that's sort of a perfect ending point, don't you, don't you, Luke? <laughs> yeah, totally have, agree. Do you have any more questions for, for Jake? 
I, I think this was a great introduction to what the Bitcoin advisor is doing and uh, happy to your story as well and hope to continue to be in touch. And uh, I think for all of the poking and devil's advocating, I think yeah. you're, you're filling a very good niche that is needed for yeah. a lot of people here. So yeah. No, gents, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Fantastic, Jake. Uh, hope to see you again soon. When are you coming to another continent? <laughs> oh, well, I, I'd love to do some uh, European Bitcoin stuff. But, um, well, I did manage to get back to the UK for a few weeks in June. So I went back and saw my family and my mum first time Hi. in four years after being marooned in Australia. Um, but with two little ones, it's not going to be a very regular process doing that kind of 24-hour beast back to Europe. So maybe in a couple of years' time. All right. Before we close out, where can people find you on the internet and uh, where can they find the Bitcoin Advisor? Sure. So first stop is www.thebitcoinadvisor.com, which ends with an ER. And that's yeah. our you know company website. Lots of information on there about who we are, why the product's good and how to get in touch. Otherwise, I'm on Twitter far too much at JakeBTCAdvisor. Wonderful. Thanks, Jake. It's been a great conversation and looking forward to seeing everything that's going on in the future and just staying in touch. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you. What did you think about that episode with Jake? It was great to hear about everything going on at Bitcoin Advisor. We're looking forward to seeing them grow and how they help Bitcoiners safeguard their custody. Let us know what you thought about the episode. You can send us a boostogram on Fountain, leave us a comment on YouTube, or get in touch on Noster or Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like the episode and subscribe to the Consensus Network channel. Our show's sponsors are Wasabi Wallet, Orange Bill App, and Bitcoinbook.shop. Use code FOOTPRINT at Bitcoinbook.shop for 10% off your purchase. That's all for now. See you next time, and thanks for listening.